0: 30:30. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. To Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Jesus had just been with his disciples, commissioning them as apostles, meaning the sent ones. They were to go and announce that the kingdom of God was almost among them. They were to heal the sick, they were to cast out demons. This was a missionary journey, two by two, he sent them. They came back, and they were exuberant. They were excited. They had seen demons flee. They had experienced things they'd never seen before, except in the work of Jesus. Now they came back, and they were tired. They gathered around Jesus And like children, excitedly reported to him all that they had done and what they had been teaching. But there were a lot of people also there. They were coming by the multitude. And he said to them, Come with me by yourselves. You need some rest. And so they got in the boat, and they went away, hopefully, to a solitary place where no one would know where they were, where the disciples could just rest and review what had happened. But that was not to be. Jesus, by this time, had become a very powerful teacher. And he was working what he called signs. Now, what is a sign? A sign points to something. A sign gives directions. A sign identifies. He was not giving symbols. Symbols are a shortcut for something else. You see the symbol of Letters, and you know that represents something else. He was not giving symbols, he was giving signs, pointing to something. So, when Jesus and the disciples arrived in that solitary place, there was already a large crowd that had gathered. And Jesus, seeing this great crowd, was moved with compassion because he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. He began to teach them. I wish I'd heard that sermon. Perhaps it was some of the content for the Sermon on the Mount. We don't know what he taught them, but they were held spellbound. by this time it was late in the day and the disciples who now came not concerned about themselves but concerned about the people they said jesus this is a remote place and it's it's getting late it's getting dark we need to send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus answered them, You give them something to eat. We've been talking in the last weeks about the school of the Holy Spirit. All of the Gospels are about the disciples. In the school of the Holy Spirit, every word had meaning. Every action had meaning. Jesus did nothing casually. He acted as he was directed by the Father. His words were not his own. They were given to him by the Father. He said, You give them something to eat. And they were astonished. They said it would take eight months of a man's wages to buy just a bite of food for this crowd. Are we to go and spend that much on bread? I also don't believe they had that much. Jesus was not wealthy. They had only what was given to them. Well, Jesus said, how many many loaves do you have? Go and see. Well, they went and checked, and all they could find was a little boy who had five loaves, little loaves, a little boy's loaf of bread, five little loaves of bread, and two little fish meant to feed one little boy. Jesus then directed them to have all the people sit down in groups. There was lots of of grass and pasture there. So he told them to have the the men divide themselves into groups of 100 or 50 to a group. And then he called the disciples to himself. And he took those five little loaves and those two little fish And he looked up to heaven, and he gave thanks. And then he began to break apart those five little loaves and those two little fish. And somehow in his hands, they began to expand, and he gave them to the disciples. He gave them to the disciples to set before the people. He divided also the fish and everyone was grateful and they feasted on the fish and they feasted on this delicious bread, probably the best bread they'd ever had in their lives. And they were satisfied. Then Jesus directed the disciples to take large baskets that they found and go and pick up all the food that was remaining that no one had eaten. And they picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. I suspect one basket representing each of the twelve tribes of Israel. The number of men, not counting women and children, was 5,000 people. Now we're told in the scriptures in the book of Mark, the sixth chapter, and also we're going to look at the story as it's unfolded in John the sixth chapter. Jesus, hearing the conversation of the people and seeing in his disciples their eagerness. The scriptures say he literally forced his disciples to go down to the water's edge and get in the boat late that evening and begin the journey across to the other side to Capernaum. What he heard was the crowd was wanting to come by force and make him their king to establish the kingdom of God by might, by military power they all expected that Messiah would come and he would defeat the Roman armies and he would once more establish Israel as a sovereign nation. None of the signs Jesus gave pointed in this direction, but they were pointed in this direction by their own heart cry and their own national pride. So finally, the disciples got in the boat to Bethesda, or Bethesda, Bethsaida. And Jesus, not getting in the boat with them, dismissed the crowds with authority. And then he made his way up the mountain where he began to pray. Now the boat is out in the middle of the lake and he could see with divine eyes that his disciples were in trouble. A heavy wind was blowing against them and they were rowing into it. They had been straining at the oars to the point of exhaustion. In the fourth watch of the night, that is the last watch of the night, they have struggled for hours, bitter hours. They have struggled at the oars while Jesus prayed for them. Why weren't they on the mountainside praying with Jesus? Why were they in the boat struggling with their oars? And Jesus went out to them. But this very interesting note. He was about to pass them by. In other words, he walked on the water. And he was going to pass them by and not even speak to them. He was going to leave them to their bitter labor. They were terrified. They saw Jesus walking on the water and they did not recognize that it was Jesus. Remember, it was dark. Perhaps there was a flash of lightning. They saw this figure, the white robe flapping in the wind as he made his way across the waves, walking confidently, strongly. They cry out in terror. They are beyond themselves. They have labored all night. They have been fearful for their lives. And now suddenly this omen comes. This omen of death that they see out of their superstitious hearts. And they're terrified. But immediately Jesus Taking compassion on his disciples, he speaks with them. He calls to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. He comes to the boat and he climbs in, and immediately the wind is gone. And the water becomes still. And they are utterly amazed. And now comes this passage of Scripture Mark, the sixth chapter, verse 52. For they had not understood about the loaves, their hearts were hardened. Their hearts were hardened. The word hardened here does not mean rebellious. It means dumbed down. It means a kind of stony heart that has been rendered stupid or callous. They had not understood about the loaves and the fishes. Well, what had they not understood about the loaves and the fishes? I struggle with what I'm going to say to you now. And for me to say it very clearly I need to go to the book of John. John unveils for us the deep things of God. I listened to a sermon this past Sunday from a nationally known speaker. He was on the radio. He is a pastor of a very Large successful congregation in Washington, D.C., in the Virginia area. I listened to his sermon and my heart was deeply grieved for him and for those who follow him. Because he does not understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, instead, His preaching dumbed down and made stupid every person who listened and has done so to every person who attends his church. Why would I say that? Because he was teaching very accurately that there is a hell and there is a heaven. He was very strong and very correct in teaching there is a hell and there is a heaven and you must choose what you're going to go to. But then he began a process of stupefying the people who were listening to his broadcast. Here's what I mean. He taught that a man only needs to believe in Jesus Christ. And that because you have believed in Jesus, you are automatically transferred from the list of those going to hell to the list of those going to heaven. He used a parable or a story of Abraham and the rich man and the poor man the poor man who went into the bosom of Abraham and the rich man who went into hell and the agony in the fire. And he said, the way you go to Abraham's bosom is that you believe in Jesus and you are good to go. He has a heart that is hardened He does not understand the gospel. That does not mean he sins. That does not mean that he is intentionally deceiving the people. But he is dumbing them down like he is. He is stupefying the people of God. And we find that in John the sixth chapter. I'll show you exactly what I mean by what I'm saying. I'm not saying this with any animosity or any judgment. I make no judgment of this man. I don't know him. I've never spoken with him. I just listened as he dumbed down the people of God and did not understand the sign of the loaves and the fishes. Jesus in John the sixth chapter crosses over walking and then getting in the boat and finishing the journey and by the time he got there there was already a crowd gathered and Jesus speaks to them I tell you the truth You are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs. Here's the word sign again. If you don't understand the sign, you will be dumbed down and become stupid. It is vital that you understand the signs that Jesus gives to us, these indicators of the direction we need to be moving with him. do not work for food that spoils. He's saying to them, you came to find me today because you ate the loaves and the fish and you had your fill and you want more given to you. He's saying, do not work for food that spoils but for food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give you On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And they ask him, What must we do to do the works that God requires? And Jesus answers, The work of God is this to believe in the one he has sent. Now, so far, so good. But now Jesus is not going to leave it there or he will dumb down his disciples and these precious people. And Jesus is never in the business of dumbing people down. That's reserved for the modern church. The modern church dumbs down God's people and makes them stupid and worldly. They counter what miraculous sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? In other words, if we're to believe in you, what sign will you give us? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus says to them, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So Jesus is literally saying, look, I gave you the miraculous sign of the loaves. And then he's saying, look, I... Your work is to believe in the loaf of bread that God has sent down. But a loaf of bread is of no value to you if you do not eat of that bread. You'll starve to death if you don't eat of that bread. And today the modern church is starving to death. It has lost its righteousness. It has lost its path. It's lost its way in this world. And this dear pastor who was speaking on the radio has lost his way. He doesn't understand that you have to eat the bread. It's not enough to simply say, I believe in Jesus. Oh, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. But believe does not mean simply assenting in my mind. There are other parts to this believe. And this dear pastor did not speak about the rest of, of what must be done if you are to believe in Jesus. Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. There is in the bread the necessity, the demand, that you deny your life. You can't simply say, I believe in Jesus, and then sit down and watch the Super Bowl. Because when you watch the Super Bowl, or you watch the entertainment of the world, you are being stupefied. You are being calloused. You are being dumb. Any person, 100 million who watched the last Super Bowl, stupefied themselves with Beyonce, And with all the entertainment, and with all the violence, with all the worldly pleasure, you stupefied yourself. You made your mind dark so that you cannot comprehend the deep things of God. And if you say, well, all I have to do is believe in Jesus and take the communion, you have stupefied yourself. You have not seen the sign. You've not gone to where the sign was pointing. So they want a miraculous sign. He says, look, it's, it's not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. It's, it's, it's God. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread, the bread that comes down from God. And Jesus answers, I am the bread. I am the bread. (laughs) You who comes to me will never go hungry. And you who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you will see me and still you do not believe. Believing in Scripture involves eating the body of Christ not the communion those are the, the the symbols the signs the communion is a sign we don't worship the sign some of you have set the sign up in your church as something sacred the sign is not sacred What the sign points to is sacred. (laughs) If you can't take communion every time you go to church, you feel like you've been cheated. You call it the sacrament. You worship it. That's idolatry. Communion is not the blood and body of Jesus. Jesus is no longer in flesh and blood. He is now in a spirit body. Some of you believe that the, that the body is actually present in the bread and actually present the blood in the wine. You've totally misunderstood. You've been dumbed down. You've been stupefied by the teachings of men and you've become idolatrous worshiping the the communion instead of worshiping the one it points to. We do this in remembrance of the death and resurrection of Jesus. It is a sign pointing to the death and resurrection of Jesus. He said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. You see, believing involves coming to Jesus, not to the sign of Jesus. The sign points to Jesus. For I've come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of them that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. You have to look to the Son. You have to Believe in the Son. But believing has content. The content of believing is denying yourself, taking up your cross, being crucified with Christ, dying to this world, dying to the pleasures of this world, dying to the entertainment of this world, dying to everything of this whole wicked world. Being born from above, a new person, born of the Spirit. Now he says, I tell you the truth. He who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And the disciples begin to argue. They don't understand the miracle of the loaves. They don't understand Jesus is the bread. Instead, they think of cannibalism. They've been dumbed down. They have enormously bias. They've been stupefied. The Jews begin to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And today, many believe that when they go to the communion, they're eating the flesh of Jesus and they're eating his body. Nothing could be further from the truth. That communion is a sign pointing to the risen Christ. That we remember the death and resurrection so that we too can enter into his death and then enter too in his resurrection and be made one with Christ Jesus, transformed into righteousness and holiness. Now listen. This is John, the 6th chapter, verse 53. You will see exactly now what I'm speaking about. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. Now let's be very clear about what Jesus is saying. He is speaking a spiritual truth. Don't be deceived by worshiping a sign. Don't be deceived by a man who says to you, you simply believe in Jesus and his righteousness now will cover you, and you're saved, and you're on your way to heaven. He is stupefied. He is dumbed down. He does not understand the gospel in spiritual terms. He doesn't understand the plan of salvation. It was Jesus' intention in Genesis 3:15 to leave a small opening where a man would not totally be caught by the devil but where a man would have an opportunity to turn and repent Jesus gave us that ability to all men to turn and repent from their sin but not just to repent in the sense of saying i'm sorry but to be made righteous to be justified The word justified, Dikasune, means to be made or to be rendered righteous. To be restored to the likeness of Jesus without spot or wrinkle. To be made holy. To be utterly separated from the wickedness of this world and from the sin of the devil. Jesus came to destroy the work of the devil. Let me turn quickly. I'm just hearing. I'd not planned on sharing this with you, but I, I'm i sensing I need to. In Hebrews, it is Jesus' intention to do away with sin. to be finished with it. Let me read this for you. Hebrews, the ninth chapter. I'll begin reading with verse 26. Then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. Let's back up just a verse so that we catch this. For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence, nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again. Jesus does not offer himself again and again on a communion table. He offered himself once and for all. The way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. No, what Jesus does is give us a sign that points toward Christ, the risen Lord. But now he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Jesus died on Calvary to do away, present tense, to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Verse 27, this is Hebrews nine twenty-seven. Just as man is destined to die once, and after that to face the judgment, Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. In the King James Version, Christ was sacrificed once to bear the sins of many people. Literally, the meaning of this word in the Greek is to pick up if I come into a kitchen and there is a glass on the counter I pick up that glass and I remove it and I put it in the cupboard I have taken away the glass it is gone, you don't see it it is gone now you walk into the kitchen is the glass still on the counter no, it's been taken up It's been picked up. It's no longer present. Says So Christ was sacrificed once to pick up, to take up the sins of many people, to remove sins of many people. And then it says, and he will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. And this word in the Greek, to bear, means to separate from. To separate from. It's saying he will appear a second time, but not to separate you from your sin. Death is not our Savior. You cannot be separated from your sin at the end of time. You are either separated from your sin now and Jesus picks it up off your life or you are not saved. One woman who listens to this broadcast called and gave the testimony last week that she was convicted of her drinking alcohol And as she prayed, the Lord Jesus came. And he took up that alcoholism. He picked up that alcohol. And she testified, I no longer have any desire to drink. It's gone. I don't need to drink. I don't want to drink. The desire is gone. Jesus came and just picked it up off my heart. That's what I'm talking about here. I had a brother who was coming to the church smoking. I said, would you like to get rid of the tobacco? Yes. I hate this. Well, let's pray. And we prayed, and we broke the spirit of tobacco on his life. And he went out. Next morning, out of habit, he got up in the morning and he picked up a cigarette, started to light it, and the Holy Spirit said to him, You don't need that, put it down. Several times through the day, out of habit, he just picked up the cigarette. Holy Spirit said, You don't need that, put it down, it's gone. And he's never smoked again. It was done, it was finished, it was picked up off his life, he was free. Do you understand? Jesus Christ died on Calvary's tree so that he would have the right to come and pick up the sin of your heart and remove it. That if you are dumbed down, if you've been made stupid by the modern teachers of this day teaching lies, You will believe that your sin can never be removed from you and you will always be a sinner until Jesus comes. And when you die, he'll remove it from you. This passage in Hebrews 9 says, No, that's not going to happen. He's not going to come and separate you from your sin when you die. If you die in your sin, you will go to hell you will not be saved. Now Jesus comes speaking in spiritual terms but in very real terms. He's saying the only thing you should eat or drink from now on if you are going to believe in my name You must only eat my flesh, and you must only drink my blood. That you will have no other source of nurturance except what Jesus gives to you. That Jesus will give to you a wife, or Jesus will give to you a husband, or Jesus will give to you a job, or Jesus will give to you children, or Jesus will give to you many other wonderful gifts, but recognize they all come to you by eating the flesh of Jesus Christ and by drinking the blood of Jesus. Everything that is not of Jesus must be utterly cast off and must be removed from your life that from now on you will only eat and drink the blood of Jesus Christ. You will not eat the entertainment of this world that is filled with darkness and wickedness. You will not watch a halftime show worshiping the goat goddess or goat god. You will not live with paganism and be one with it. You will not care about the things filled with utter darkness. That sin must be lifted up off your heart. You must be separated from worldliness. You must be utterly, totally, and completely crucified with Christ Jesus. That's what Jesus means when he says, believe on my name. In other words, believe on my name in such a way that you will only feast on my flesh, spiritually speaking. You will only quench your thirst with my blood. I will be the one who will indwell you. I will give to you the gift of life. I will bless you and I will keep you. Do not be an idolater, worshipping signs instead of the one to whom the sign points. My brother, my sister, the disciples had hardened their hearts. Why? Because they believed the common interpretation of Scripture from their day. And Jesus was coming and saying, that interpretation is a dumbed-down, stupid interpretation. It is not the truth. I'm not going to establish the Roman Empire being defeated now. I'm not going to come and start my own organization. You're not going to sit on my right and my left now. That's for the future. Now I've come to die on Calvary. Now is the time when you must come and die with Jesus on Calvary and be resurrected with Jesus. And you must feast on him now. Whoever eats my flesh, drinks my blood, remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. I only live today, my brother, my sister, because of Jesus. It's not a sin to be dumbed down. It's not a sin to be stupid. It's a sin to remain that way. It's a sin to refuse the light. And many now of the disciples turn and walk away. They say, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And they stop following Jesus. And they go back to their interpretations of Scripture. They go back to their normal, regular life. They have gone and they have eaten the food of Jesus. They have gone and they have been at worship. But now they've gone back to their normal way of life. This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? the disciples are grumbling and Jesus says to them are you, are you offended too by this I'm sure some of you today are deeply offended by what I've said you may have even turned off the radio by now I'm sure you're deeply offended I've not said it to you to offend you please I've said it to you to turn your heart away from the darkness of this world and the stupidity of this world. I've spoken these words as kindly as I can to open before you the vista of heaven to turn you from your idolatry To help you understand that the modern interpretation of believing on Jesus and then claiming you're saved is without content. It is meaningless. It is sentimental slop. It does not stand the light of day. The Spirit gives life the flesh counts for nothing. All of our religious customs and practices don't mean anything if they are not flowing out of the crucified Christ Jesus. If it is the tradition of men, if it is the sentimental practice of religion, It has no meaning. It counts for nothing. Then he says the words I've spoken to you are spirit. And they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. You notice now he's using a different meaning. There is context and color and meaning in the word believe that is far beyond some intellectual assent and some sentimental slop. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. In verse 66. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And he said to his disciples, you do not want to leave too, do you? And Simon Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. What are you going to do with what you've heard today? Or are you going to continue to walk in the shallowness of your idolatry? Or are you going to turn with all of your heart and ask Jesus to remove the sin from your life? Or are you going to cut off every source of nurturance except that which comes from the hand of Jesus or are you going to continue to participate in the things of darkness of our culture? O oh Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for the light of glory to be shed upon them, for truly you are the bread sent from heaven. Truly you are the loaves divided for us, Lord, teach us to be satisfied and to feast on the manna from heaven and to cut off the stubble and the hay and the apples from Sodom and Gomorrah. Lord God, give us the victory. Awaken us from our stupor. Make us victorious today. I pray in your name. Amen. You're listening to Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. I ask you to send tithes and offerings that this broadcast could continue on the air. I don't sell things. I believe in the same thing you do at church where you pass an offering plate. This is the Word of God. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, You'll find there a mailing address. You'll find our times of worship and gathering. You're welcome to come and walk with us with the bread of life. If you come, you'll find Jesus. will meet you there. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you. Walk in Jesus today. Feast on Him. Be filled with Jesus today. I'll talk to you soon. For the presence of His glory with great joy, with